I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. Any big news in your world, Margie? So, you know, there are some things, but I'll start with the one thing that is on is news today. And that's so my dad is 92. I've talked about him before. Was in the hospital this week, which happens quite frequently if you're 92. Um, but and he gets a little confused, and they asked him, you know, the kind of standard questions. You may remember once Trump saying that he was incredibly, he had the greatest mind ever because he had passed this test. The test is not really. I think it's the same test they give my dad. It's not really that hard. Like, what year is it? Can you write down a sentence? Like, I think I think that's the same test. Anyway, but my dad, it's not passing it this week and uh so they said uh what year is it wasn't sure what's the date wasn't totally sure who's the president and he said franco we thought for sure that that one he would nail that trump would get in there somewhere and he said franco and i'm not you know i think for him is probably not a good memory nope um but currently it seems like a good like any escape maybe is a good escape. I don't know, but we're not escaping today. We have lots of polls. We have, <laughs> we have no that was quite we have no escape setup. today. <laughs> the fr- we are reminded the Franco, the Franco era in Spain I into know. what are this week's stop lines? I know, I know. I was out. I was like, I'm ending this right now. <laughs> this, this segue ends right now. <laughs> so earlier this week I got to go down to Baton Rouge. I had never been. Mm. I went for the first time. I spoke to Lobby, which is uh, like the, a business association um, in Louisiana. It was a lot of fun um, and got to spend a little bit of time in New Orleans and had my first muffaletta sandwich. Oh, I had never had one really before. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. I don't know where they had been my whole life, but that was a game changer. Oh, here's something that happened. After we recorded in Vegas last week, I was at a party and someone came up to me and said, I am such a huge pollsters fan. I can't even take it. And I was like, yes. And he's like, Do you, does that feel weird? I'm like, no, nobody ever does that. So it's totally <laughs> great. <laughs> Attention listeners, we will not be creeped out if yeah. you choose well, to. Well, we might be, but this time I was not <laughs> in the theory. Of I it. trust our listeners yes. to, that, that our listeners are good, non creepy yes. individuals who understand yes. social cues and would know how to convey sure. nice sentiments this to us totally in a way did. that wouldn't make us call the authority. <laughs> this guy was totally fine. <laughs> well, I unfortunately was not in Vegas for for last week's episode. Uh, much as I wish I was. I realize I used to like be in this habit of at least once a year I would be in Vegas for something, for a speech, a conference, whatever. And I have not been in like a year and a half. Yeah, it's still the same. I miss it. It's still the same. When we were there last year, we were all at lunch, my business partners and I, and they and the waitress comes over and says, how spicy would you like like it on a scale of one to ten? Three is medium. <laughs> Like, three is what? (laughs) That is not right. That sounds like my kind of place. (laughs) This scale is terrible. (laughs) No, that's great. Is it like a logarithmic scale of spice? Like, jumping from three to four? We have some edits. It's not linear. (laughs) We have some feedback. (laughs) Would you like it in track changes or over the phone? (laughs) Uh, So, let's get into the polls. This week's top lines, uh, shut down 
2.0 averted question mark as of us recording it's unclear to me that the president has actually signed anything or that congress has passed anything but by the time this episode hits your ears it's possible that the government will have been permanently reopened it's possible that the wall will or will not be being funded in some way by a national emergency that may or may not be a national emergency. We don't know. But at the moment, the president's job approval is looking better. We'll talk about it. Margie's got a new navigator poll on the work of Mueller and Mr. Peepers. My I just discovered the Ben Fold (laughs) song about Rod Rosenstein, and it's now stuck in my head. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about Mueller and investigations and oversight and all of that. Um, We cannot live in 2020 denial anymore. It is time to start looking at the polls a little more seriously. We'll take a look at where the Democratic field stands. And, well, Virginia, they didn't give you quite enough information. That is the Billy Joel lyric that I have been thinking of as I have watched the debacle that is the Commonwealth of Virginia, the Old Dominion uh, political scene. It's kind of a hot mess, and we will discuss. Then the president actually tweeted out a poll number and got something right. This is good job for you. Broken clock, et cetera, Mr. Et president, we're going to talk about new Gallup data, about how people are feeling about their finances. And finally, it's Valentine's Day. Yeah. We will talk about polling on all things Valentine's. Great. One exception is we will not be... I don't believe we have any polls in here about candy. And I feel like two or three years ago when we did our Valentine's episode, there was a question about those like candy hearts. Which they don't make anymore. I know. It's like the end of an era. Yeah. Do they not make them anymore because people think they taste like chalk? Or are they not making them anymore because there's something like problematic about giving people candy that says like, hey, baby. (laughs) I think they changed them all to like text you or or something. I thought they like made them all like, you know. (laughs) Is is like giving later people gram or something? Can, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever the kids say. Is it say. not like appropriate in the Me Too era, or I was don't. it just that people were like, "These are gross"? <laughs> I think I think it's because these are gross, and they probably I always kind of liked them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, they got weren't they bought out by it? I don't know. I'm I'm just gonna make up stuff, which seems inappropriate. But um, <laughs> we had a lot of we had a lot of uh, Valentine making going on at our house this past week. It is quite. It is quite an assignment. There was like a thing in the Times recently about how working mothers struggle in Japan because the housework is so lopsided and they're real crazy, not crazy, very intense, high standards of how of what uh, moms need to do for their kids and includes like, you know, please make a homemade doll for next week and like things that you like if I had received, I'd be like, what? <laughs> I could have a hundred years, I wouldn't be able to do this, like, let alone by next week, you know? Um, so anyway, but the Valentine's Day cards is, is sort of like that for me every year. I'm like, okay, what, what project are my kids going to assign me? So we had to make like 22 origami things with for Lucy. Beckett's like, I don't, you know, I don't care. I can't even be bothered to like lick these clothes that you made for me. But like I, I was like watching videos and make, I mean, it was, I was like, oh, I'm like that article. This is almost like a homemade doll. My friend Mary Catherine had, has just done the KonMari yeah. method on some of her stuff. And so her her daughters, their Valentines were sort of constructed out of things that had been acquired and oh, were in good. the process of being purged. Yeah. Like this was, the Valentines were like, oh, look, I found this like old sheet of Wonder Woman stickers. <laughs> Get out the crayons. Yeah, yeah. Get out the cardstock. Here yes. we go. Valentine's yeah. Ahoy. Yeah, so. it's, uh, it's quite a thing. Yeah. Um, okay, so 
Let's talk first about just yes. president's job approval. So kind of a big change in the president's yeah, job approval. It is up to happening? now 43.6 percent, almost at its record highs. I think it, this is driven in part because Gallup's numbers for the president were really good. Um, now, Gallup, remember, doesn't do polling as often on uh, presidential job approval. But nonetheless, they they saw a huge jump from the last time they asked. Um, look, the government is potentially going to reopen. Like his, num- his numbers have recovered back to where they were before shutdown madness took hold. Uh, this is, I think it further proves that the shutdown was not good politically for the president. Right. But in the same way that last time around we had a big shutdown, it was bad politically for Republicans. And then the moment the shutdown ended, everyone moved on and Republicans numbers recovered. It seems like that's what's happening with the president here, provided he actually signs this. Congress passes this bill and he actually signs it. Right. Wasn't there like a thing I saw where there people are urging, you know, various hosts like tell the press, say on your show that the president's doing a you know great job, so he feels reassured. Yes, that is a uh, that was I think a New York cool. Times article today. So yeah. Uh, yeah, very cool. That's great. Okay, good job, <laughs> good job, Mr. President. These numbers are just slightly less horrible than they usually are. <laughs> you still still continue to be net disapproved, and I guess you know. I had noticed this recently. This is good for him. These numbers yeah. are good for Trump. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you're right. Maybe that's a low bar, but they're yes, good for they're him. they're good for him. And they have moved. And there's a clear shift. I mean, looking at this, it's hard to deny that there's a shift. And so, you know, it is fair, the folks who say that when the numbers start to go down, lots of folks are like, holy smokes, look at his numbers. And then are people having, I don't know, I haven't watched cable today. Are people having the same kind of reaction like holy smokes his numbers are going back up or do they just talk about the numbers that are going down and not as much I mean I think that's a fair you know observation because I mean we talked about that during 16 like number polls that were outliers got a lot more coverage than polls that were not outliers I mean you know people more talk more about his numbers sinking than his numbers going up I, I don't know but Nonetheless, it looks like these numbers are on the rise. Well, let's talk a little bit about your polling on uh, the wonderful world of oversight. So we have two polls that came out today. One is Navigator and one is uh, what we'll talk about. So let's talk about Navigator first. So, And they're both with our friends at Global Strategy Group. Hello, friends at GSG. Um, and so the Navigator one in, in, that we release every month has quite, uh, you know, folks can find the report online. We tested quite a few things on um, the falsehoods that Trump, that come from the president and why people think, or do they think that the president um, lies more often than other presidents? And most people said yes. Um, what are the motivations? And the plurality said to make himself look better. And then what does one say about or what's the most problematic or, or worrisome about that? And people worry about what the actual impact is, you know. So it's very similar to the um, to Restore Public Trust poll, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. This, how do you talk about these things that are so troubling? And it's it, the what worries people is the impact. How does it, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for the country? Um, does this put people at risk? And and those are the things that are, are worrisome for folks. So that's, I think, one of the the, um, the clearest findings. Uh, we also saw support for the Mueller probe, 
um, increase. You have a slight increase in the percentage of people who uh, feel to the best of their knowledge that the um, that there's uh, some crimes have been uncover- uncovered as part of the investigation, the special counsel investigation. Um, so we've seen that go up over time over the, since July. We've been asking that and in a, in not every single month, but most months. And uh, and so it's now um, a majority, 56% say that. So that's uh, an increase there. And that's a result of people observing it in the news. I mean, I think there's more support for the investigation. There's more, you know, uh, um, th- that we've seen in a couple different polls. And so that th- that's true here too. Um, now, the other poll is in res- for res- a group called Restore Public Trust. And that had some questions about congressional oversight. So that's a little bit different than the, a special counsel investigation. And and there, people feel that um, they that there is um, that they support. They feel it's Congress's job to provide uh, oversight over the Trump administration, and that's something that is uh, you know you have a majority. Obviously, these things have a partisan tinge to them or partisan breakouts to them. I should say the voters sort themselves in a partisan way. Clearly, a majority, you know, almost all Democrats feel this way, but also independents feel this way. I mean, independents also feel that it's Congress's job. And um, uh, even a majority of Republicans feel that it's Congress's job. So it depends on how you ask some of these questions. But the sense that Congress has a job to do here, it is one of many things Congress has to do. But, you know, this is Part of Congress's, you know, remit is something that is uh, that a majority of Americans feel, um, and uh, you know, we asked do you support Democrats in Congress conducting investigations into senior officials. A majority support that too, um, and uh, two in five strongly support it. So, um, so that's you know, there are all these things that have been reported in the Hill, and there are public memos, and folks can take a look, and uh, there'll be more, hopefully, some more um, press coverage of it coming soon. Uh, speaking, by the way, just of uh, presidents, heads of government meddling in legal affairs, have you been following what's going on with your favorite Canadian prime minister? No. I won't break your heart on air. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. Um, that's okay. I don't, you yeah, know, it's not, it I don't, ha- I don't like have a fact-based, you know, it's not like my admiration <laughs> is not grounded in facts. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, so in this that would only be disappointing. I I am a little curious and and I'm I always hate when people ask me to like remember cross tabs off the top of my head because I I don't want to get it wrong. But I rarely have literally every number in a poll stored in my brain. But when I'm looking at these questions about, you know, what what are the below are some possible explanations for why Donald Trump might not always tell the truth, which, if any, do you think are true most often? Um, that like I'd be interested in what the Republican crosstab would say on this. Like, do they mostly think that when he says something that's inaccurate, he actually believes it? Like, it's not a lie. It's false. But he, it's a, a, that a lie implies intent. And he's just like, sometimes he's wrong. Do they think that he do, or do they agree like he's just trying to make himself look better? Or did I would love to know what And the reason I ask is I feel like this is the sort of thing that is of interest to the like. Bill Crystal land as they try to find the biggest weaknesses that Trump has among his own base. I, I mean, I don't know to what extent the Trump doesn't always say things correctly thing is like his key weakness. But to the extent that it was, I'm I'm wondering what the Republicans. Yeah, you know, stand by. I got oh, I got I got that somewhere. Um, but there, you know, there's other. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to drone on and on. But while I'm looking this up, but there are other some other cool things, you know, in the. Uh, in the Navigator poll, we asked about the 
marginal tax rate. So that's something that, you know, we had a split sample and we asked um, where people heard explanation of what marginal tax rate um, change would be, what that means. So we tested that and uh, uh, restore public trust. We also saw some language about no one is above the law. The Trump should not be, President Trump is not above the law. That phrase is something that really resonates with folks. Neither of those answers to your, this is what I do. This is how I stall when I'm trying to look things up while people talk. This is my... <laughs> Trick it's an important I'm, skill being a pollster. It is a skill. I'm like, that's really How great. How can I filibuster <laughs> while I'm getting the crosstab file? While alone? this person sitting next to me usually is the person like looking that up. But no, I have I have that by um, the motivation thing by party because the navigator top lines are always released by party, so folks can always check that that stuff out. We ask so we have a variety of questions. How often, if at all, do you think Donald Trump does the following things? Exaggerate the truth. Make misleading statements. Repeat rumors as fact. These are different questions. Tell lies. Omit important details to leave an incorrect impression. Completely make things up, right? Those are all different things. And um, so we, if you look at, if you combine often and sometimes, it was a four-point scale. Republic, there's not a lot of daylight between D's and R's in the scheme of things on exaggerate the truth. There's more on make misleading statements, but still a majority of Republicans, basically every Democrat says yes yeah. to that. Um, tell lies, you know, half of Republicans say he does that often or sometimes 96, you know, for all these, just assume basically all Democrats say yes. Right. So the, among Republicans, half say he tells lies often or sometimes, um, completely make things up 38%. That's the lowest one. 38% 38% of Republicans say he does that often or sometimes. See, I feel like that is a number that you all could get a ton of news with. Because like that, you are not used to seeing more than 15% of Republicans say anything, like anything particularly negative about Trump. And that right. to me sounds like it's the sort of thing where if you believe that Trump, like on the character issues is where he's going to begin to see weakness among Republicans. Like that's... That, to me, is a pretty eye-popping yeah. So number. it goes from 38% completely make things up. Only 7% say he does that often, of Republicans. the high, That's the lowest among Republicans. The highest is exaggerate the truth. 70% of Republicans feel that he exaggerates the truth. Um, so, yeah. And then, now which of these things bother you the most? And there we have an option that's, you know, none of these, right? So a plurality of Republicans say none of these, but... But the second most say making misleading statements. That's, you know, what bothers them the most out of all these different these different things. But anyway, so but so there are people who say that he does these things, one of these things often or sometimes there are Republicans who say he does one of these things often or sometimes, but say none of them really bother them. Yeah. Okay. well, that's that actually does line up. Right. Pretty well with like the sorts of things I hear in focus groups where I I described this on. So I did one of these conversations with Bill Crystal where, uh, you know, you sit down with him and you talk for like 90 minutes and they put the video online. And uh, so if you just want to watch me talk to Bill Crystal for 90 minutes, uh, that is available to you. Um, and one of the things that I told him was I, I what I find in focus groups is that. Republicans will often kind of like hold their tongue about like talking about Trump until they realize that everyone else in the focus group is a Republican. And then they're like, oh, okay, I can talk about this. And once they sort of realize that they're in the family, they Mm -hmm. can they're more comfortable like 
gently criticizing Trump, like, oh, I wish you had stopped tweeting. Oh, sometimes he says some crazy things. Sometimes I wish he'd be a little more presidential. But it's the kind of thing where if there had been a Democrat in the room saying, like, I, sometimes he just needs to be more presidential and stop making things up, that, like, you, they would all, like, defend him. And I describe it as, like, we've all got f- family members. Well, I... I love my family. This is not about any of my family members. I love all you guys so much. You're great. You're the best. Uh, But, you know, like, let's say you have a family member who annoys you. Right. And you can be like, ugh, my brother is so annoying. But if someone else comes up to you and is like, ah, Kristen, your brother is so annoying. You'd be like. Kristen doesn't have a brother. I don't have a brother. I'm using this example. Um. You'd be like, don't you talk about my brother that right. way. My brother's amazing. My brother's 10 times better than you. And then you. as Back a focus group moderator, we say, okay, do you have an example of something amazing your brother <laughs> has done? And you would say, well, I can't think of one right now. I'll get back to you. <laughs> That's, the, the idea being that, that anyway, like- for, sorry to take this metaphor in a different direction. <laughs> the Republicans are, you know, sort of in the, in the cone of silence bubble of like a safe space. They'll be like- uh, Trump, sometimes he tweets some crazy things. Yeah. But when it's someone that they perceive as on the outside or hostile to Trump or hostile to their values telling them, like, don't you think Trump is a liar and he's so crazy? They're like, why don't you back off? Because he's making America great again. It's like it's so all about who the messenger is and how it's presented. And so I, that, I just think that that poll number fair. is fascinating. It's in fair. That I context. mean, look, it's still I think the difference between you know, often and sometimes is also, you know, pretty striking, too. I mean, for, you know, Republicans who, um, you know, who feel this way, they they don't feel it as intensely. But still, you know, but still, I think it, you're right. I mean, it is it's still a pretty striking number. You know, the, the question is acting on it. But we, you know, it's not news. I mean, it is news. It's news. People should write on it. But I mean, it is not brand new. It's it's been true that people who have voted for him have thought that he doesn't have the right temperament. That was true in the exit polls. You know? Yep. So, well, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees, and it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google/certificates. And welcome back here on The Pollsters. And now we're going to talk about 2020, which we've been a little reluctant to talk about too much because it's so early and, you know. Don't believe the polls. Don't believe the polls. They don't tell us anything. But enough people now are announcing formally. Things are really getting underway. We're getting more data points. You should not treat any of this as gospel, but. It is now worth spending a little more time unpacking 2020 polls. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> uh, sure. So, uh, what do you see? Saint Anselm. Oh, yeah. So, this is—is is this going to be something that we don't cover as much? No. I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, what's in the script? <laughs> uh, New Hampshire loves loves them some Joe Biden. Saint, Saint is this um the Saint Anselm School in New Hampshire? Yes, where we have both. We've both been, and I remember I went for something, and as I was setting up for the thing that I was doing, they had a little picture of, like, next week, Kristen's coming. So, we love St. Anselm. But anyway. 
they have a poll of New Hampshire. They have a poll of New Hampshire. Um, they conducted one. It was early February. Uh, 600 registered voters in New Hampshire. They have a subsample of about 258 people who say they intend to vote in the Democratic presidential it's an open primary. primary. Open primary. Anybody can can do it. Uh, and and interestingly. Just as a side note, that I feel like the dynamics change in a year where those independents really don't. I mean, they don't have a. There's a, look. There's a chance that there will be some. As of right now, there's no primary like on the Republican. Oprah side. will decide she's going to challenge Trump in the Republican primary. Something banana crackers, right? Nutso like that happens, and then suddenly the Republican primary is like the hot thing. Right. I don't think that's going to happen. Look, we should assume for right now that that's not the thing. So more independents are likely to vote, or at least independents are more likely to vote the D primary than you know, our primary, but do you have independents who don't normally vote in primaries or have voted in Republican primaries before now vote in the Democratic primary? Mm-hmm. Last time around, you may remember Monmouth, I think it was, would release different numbers depending on, you know, if more Democrats vote, more independents vote in the D primary versus like just changing turnout scenarios in the D versus R primaries in New Hampshire. It's very particular for New Hampshire and how their primary works. Um, so, I don't know how that, you know, pertains. This is just self-report. Are you going to vote in the Democratic primary? It's far out anyway. Um, but what what did they find? Well, I would just like to say for the record, polling polling data release beef. Decimal points are yes, dumb. Not AP, don't it's not use AP them. style. Integers. Integers. <laughs> yes, it's not AP style. Uh, however, so I will be ran, I will be rounding. As I present these numbers, Um, Joe Biden, very well liked, 80 percent favorable. Um, The next highest name recognition, Bernie Sanders is tied for for highest name recognition. His favorable is 65 percent. You have about 25 percent of potential Democratic primary voters who have an unfavorable view of Senator Sanders. Um, Elizabeth Warren, the senator from the state next door, uh, 60% favorable, 28% unfavorable. That strikes me as a not very good number for her, given that that's the Northeast is her turf. I mean, it's it's a positive number, but you should be very positive with this group. A 60% favorable when your name ID is near 100% among People who intend to vote in your own party's primary, that feels mushy to me. That feels that uh, I would be ner- I would be nervous, especially given that like a Joe Biden is so high or someone like a Cory Booker, whose name ID overall is 10 points lower, still has favorables that are just as high. So it's very important, y'all, when you're looking at these primary faves. So this is a fave on fave. This is not vote. Correct. So you can examine this, I think, with a little bit more care than a horse race question, which is just kind of a wah-wah west of, you know, of numbers. And it's, you know, it doesn't really reflect the, it doesn't adjust for the different kind of um, how well-known everybody is. But, you know, here they have fave, they have unfave, no opinion, they have name recognitions sort of helpfully included there. This is rank ordered by it's alphabetized, so it's not rank. So yeah. At least it's, you know, we've seen ones that have, like, no order at all. This is alf- alphabetized, but you should not necessarily look at, you know, Cory Booker's 60, 61, we should say, not 60.9. His 61 with a 9% unfavorable, how does that compare to Warren's 60% favorable, 28% unfavorable? She's better known, but he has a better fave to unfave ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, even though their favorables are exactly, essentially exactly the same. She has the best logo, though. 
real talk, Republican just intervening for one moment to say, like, tip of the cap to you, Elizabeth Warren. I like your logo the best. Yeah, it's, you know, they're tough. But I, lo- I love when people, I love the stories about people's logos. I don't know. I just find those. If, like, if you're interested in this beat, may I recommend the coverage from Jonathan V. Last at the Bulwark. He is a graphic design nerd, and he has been he has persuaded me that the Sherrod Brown canary, randomly placed canary that like it's it's like the Portlandia put a bird on it sketch. <laughs> like I was like, why is there a bird on Sherrod Brown's banners? And he explained it to me like it's a whole story about canaries and coal mines and that being like the only thing that was protecting workers and like work matters and we need to be doing better at protecting work. Like there's a story behind the bird. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm persuaded that this is not just like, it's, it's a thing. It's he's selling hats and shirts with the bird on it. Like, okay, okay. I can, I can get behind the bird now. Um, Yeah. I mean, Kamala Harris, uh, 62.5. How am I going to round this? Do I go up or down? Right. (laughs) We'll go up. We'll go up. Kamala Harris, 63% favorable. Um, only eight percent unfavorable. So, like, that's that's pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this week you had Amy Klobuchar jump in the race. She's at thirty percent favorable, five percent unfavorable. Uh, really, the the person here who's in the worst shape is Michael Bloomberg, who is thirty percent favorable, thirty two percent unfavorable. It's not looking great for him if he chooses to run in the Democratic primary. But I mean, there is, you know. Interestingly, 31.9% say they have no opinion of him. His name ID is very high, but there's like a huge chunk of people that kind of shrug and are like, I don't really know. So mm. I guess when you're an ind- ind- a Republican that becomes an independent, that becomes a Democrat, like people kind of wonder, and, what's your story? Yeah. And I'm assuming, I guess they're including no opinion in name recognition. Um. Yes. It seems like it. So yeah. there are going to be people who have no opinion, who really are not, you know, do you include no opinion and name recognition? They probably had a, like, I've never heard answer category, which mm-hmm. is not here. Um, because d- does it seem like, you know, Tulsi Gabbard and John Zelaney have, you know, 50% roughly have, you know, have name recognition for them? That seems, I mean, that seems a little high, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know these are New Hampshire primary voters, but it seems a little high. Uh, there's also, I think, if you want to go beyond New Hampshire, uh, 538 has helpfully aggregated the national polling um, that happened throughout January on this question uh, to look at the fave unfave um, and the uh, you know share of Democrats with an opinion. So in this case, no opinion is not being included for this little chart. And it kind of plots them out on a line. It shows there's a pretty strong trend, uh, pretty linear relationship between how many people know you and how favorably they think of you with Two exceptions. Mike Bloomberg, again, last people know who he is. Democrat voters not necessarily interested in signing up to vote for him. And then Uncle Joe, Joe Biden, he is he's off the charts. Literally. He's <laughs> off the chart. He is it's off like the trend line. Head. Yeah, there's a floating Joe Biden head like lording over the entire he rest look, of he this. He looks chart. very happy in that photo he that looks they picked. So happy in this picture. Um so yeah, I also let like But uh, you know, and the other thing, I mean he is how much we we don't know the answer to this. I mean, he is not an announced candidate. Does that play a role? I mean, not all these people are announced candidates either. But is there some you know is there some different factor of people who kind of entered the race in 
a more clear way. I don't know. This is also, um, I am fascinated by the choice to use the faces as the data points in the chart because it looks like like you have Eric Holder and Kirsten Gillibrand in kind of the same place. And it looks like Eric Holder's like whispering something in the <laughs> Kirsten Gillibrand head's ear. Right. Uh, you know, you just uh, see John Delaney's mouth, only. or like Amy Klobuchar is like trying to take a bite out of Sherrod Brown's face. Yeah, which who knows? Who knows? Unverified rumor. Unverified rumor. <laughs> um, you know they had some fun with this at the. Uh, yes, yes. Um, okay. Well, we'll stop talking twenty twenty. I don't want to get Margie in trouble. I know, it's, it's fine. I'm good. I feel good. I feel good so far. <laughs> hey, let's let's talk about. Let's talk about Virginia. Sure. Uh, so it's not great. It's not great. But a, not a ton of people in polls over the last week or two have said that they believe Northam should step down. Um, so first, I'll, we'll start with the political angle. And then yeah. I think we can talk about the Pew polling on just blackface in general. Because we talked a lot last week about, like, why would there be such big event, such a big age gap on things right. like, is it ever acceptable to wear blackface? Right. Um, so, uh, Washington Post Shar School Shar School poll. Why could I not say that? Um, Virginians are split on whether Northam should step down. Forty-seven say he should. Forty-seven say he shouldn't. The partisan break's actually not what I would necessarily. I mean, you have fifty-six percent of Republicans saying he should, but forty-two percent saying he should not. Uh, for Democrats, 40 percent say he should. 57 percent say he should not. Yeah. I mean, a part of this is because you have the partisan break cutting the other way on the issue of how acceptable or unacceptable was it in 1984 to potentially have worn blackface right. in a yearbook photo. Right. Like the, the party break on whether that's bad cuts one way. The party break on should I support my the governor who is from yeah. my party or not cuts yeah. the other way. So this is like I know people are conflicted. Like if you had asked this poll before any of this happened, if you just sort of you know said hi, do you think Ralph Northam should step down? How different would the what would these numbers look like? I mean, you'd have more Democrats who say no. I, what you know, but would you have fifty six percent of Republicans say yep, sure, go for it, yep. <laughs> step down, <laughs> great idea. You know, I don't know, um, or or is this you know, is this number like, OK, he did something. We have an opportunity and he should step down. You know, but how much is really offended by blackface? You, you would know, have you have to go way far down in the succession order before you hit a Republican. So it's not as though like, oh, if Ralph right. Northam steps down, you suddenly get a Republican. True. If Ralph Northam steps down. You get Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, who has a whole other bucket of issues yes. that we have not. We do not have poll testing no. on and will not be touching today. Uh, but. In the post poll, they also ask, do you find Northam's explanation for the yearbook photo to be believable or not believable? And in case you didn't already think that this is like textbook, how not to handle a cluster F of a PR situation. Yeah. uh, The poll tells you this is not how to handle it. 73% of Virginians say his explanation is not believable. So pro tip, don't apologize for something until you're sure that it's something that you actually did. Which explanation are they thinking about, in fact? Right. There's a lot lot here. Um, So, yeah. So I I think... I mean, I think it's interesting. Look, they also, I know a lot of folks, and maybe they have this publicly. We'll have to take a look. I mean, they compare whites and black folks from Virginia, the, and the numbers reflect 
party breakouts perhaps more than race. I don't know how white Democrats feel versus white Republicans. That would be interesting to compare. Um, overall, white voters are d- divided. 48% say he should step down. 46% say he should not. Um, among uh, African-American voters, 37% say he should, uh, he should, and 58% say he should not. Yeah. I mean, if you're Ralph Northam, it's hard not to look at these poll numbers and think I should just sit tight. They think my explanation was dumb, but they accept my apology and let's just move on. And besides, in Virginia, you don't have to run for re-election. So there is no – it's only a problem insofar as if he became politically toxic to where the Democrats and the legislature like didn't want to work with him on stuff, which I suspect will not be the case. Like I suspect if there are priorities on which they all align – well, it's tough because you have an election that's happening this year. Correct. And, you know, you have a lot of targeted races. You know, that was a big, lots of big wins in 17, you know, not just Northam, but, but you know, the, the legislature. So um, so it's going to be important. You know, I know we talked about um, what happens next if Northam does step down. And that's not tested in the polls. So, you know, I don't, we can assume that. Most Republicans or a lot of Republicans sort of know what would happen, but we shouldn't assume that necessarily that people would know exactly what would happen if Northam would step down. Yeah. Um, And then just, you know, to sort of rehash briefly what we talked about last week, you know, the Pew poll really does show that for – White Americans and older Americans, there is more acceptance of, hey, there are sometimes circumstance when it is uh, it is acceptable to use makeup to darken your skin for a Halloween costume. So in this specific instance, they're like using the Halloween costume right. example. Um, and here, I mean, you find that for 50 to 64 year olds, 45 percent say it is either always or somewhat sometimes acceptable to do. It's always I like the sort of it's always acceptable. Like that's. <laughs> seems quite are you sure it's always acceptable like like if you thought you if you thought like this there might be sometimes like sometimes acceptable but the always is like you're you're really you're really committing to that stance <laughs> yeah um and there's a party divide where you have uh, 50% of republicans compared to only 21% of democrats yeah. who say it is always or somewhat acceptable so the divides on this are kind of what you would expect yeah. uh and 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 the Halloween, like anchoring it in Halloween is interesting. I guess they want to make it very applicable to the Northam experience. And, you know, I guess how most of these stories have, have come out. But it's interesting that it's about Halloween specifically. I don't know if that changes it. If you would ask it in some other way, would that change it in some other Change the numbers somehow. Well, hey, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a polling tweet that the president got right. What? Is he listening to the pollsters? I hope so. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts, But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. 
What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, so we're back. And wonders never cease. The president tweeted something about poll numbers that apparently is correct. He tweeted, the Gallup poll just announced that 69% of our great citizens expect their finances to improve next year, a 16-year high. Nice. Uh, wait. Factual, fact, we can correct him. This was not a poll of citizens. This was a poll of Americans. Okay. Not the same thing. Sure. Yes. Uh, so there is a factual error if we want to nitpick the tweet. Okay. I was going to ask that, but I also wanted to just back up a second. Is Twitter for Twitter for iPhone is when somebody else tweets it or is it Android? Which is the one that's him and which is the one that's somebody else? Oh, I don't know. Hang on. Let me Because this. this just does not seem, it just seems too correct. Trump it, tweet from iPhone. President Trump routinely uses unsecured iPhones to speak. Well, yeah, that could be him. Hmm. That could be him. Because don't they like try to tweet in a, in his voice and they like compete which ones, you know, inter- internally Trump sounds. tweet from Android. Like there was a study of like Android tweets versus iPhone tweets and... I don't know. I forget which one. A year ago today, I wrote up a text analysis of Trump tweets that confirms he writes only the angrier Android half. When he's insulting a rival, he tweets from Android. (laughs) Uh, Okay. This was not the president. Whoever tweeted this was correct and was not the president. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, it says he uses unsecured iPhones. Maybe they got him a new phone. And the first thing he did was- After Kellyanne took a hammer to the first three. Tweet something, (laughs) like, almost correct, right? Um, So, yeah, that's- uh, Anyway, we don't know if this was him or not. So he he is correct that this is the highest that uh, you have had the percentage of of Americans saying, looking ahead, do you expect that at this time next year you will be financially better off than now or worse off than now? Sixty nine percent say they think they'd be better off. Um, The last time you got even close to this last year was at 66 percent. You hit that in 2012, it looks like, during the Obama administration. But then really the last time it hit 69 percent was back during the earlier days of the Bush administration, post-September 11th, but pre-financial crisis. Uh, During the Clinton administration in 1998, you actually hit the high watermark for this going back to like 1977, where you had 71 percent of uh, people who uh, said that they were better, they expected to be better off. So that and that was kind of the like dot-com boom, you know, hey, 90s moment. So the president's not wrong. The number is correct. It is a credible poll from a credible source. Yes. This is not like the drudge poll. Yes. It's this is for real. Um, it's not like a subgroup of 70 people. And, and, and besides getting the universe wrong, this is not citizens. This is Americans. Yes. That's I, that could be forgiven. That can be forgiven. That's the kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. and people who are not the principal investigator get wrong as they talk about polling all the time. And now asking people, would you say you are financially better off now than you were a year ago? 50% say they are better off than they were a year ago, a figure that has not been hit since pre-financial crisis. So he's not wrong. People are feeling okay about uh, about the economy. Of course, the polling on this is dramatically influenced by partisanship. Yeah. Uh, if you asked back in the Obama administration, Democrats, a majority said, I'm better off than I was a year ago. And only 37% of Republicans said that. 
And now it's kind of flipped where you have two thirds of Republicans who say, I'm better off, and only a third of Democrats say yes. So some of this is driven by partisanship. Right. Surprise, no, surprise. No. <laughs> and does it, you know, and does it, if the perception is, if people believe that they're better off, they will spend as if they're better off. And is that a good thing or a bad thing economically? And at the same time, this is not an actual, this is not an actual investigation of whether or not people's finances and their economic situation is better off or not. This is their own self-report. So it may or may not, people may or may not be better off. People may not, you know, are not as better off as they feel compared to a year ago or may not be as much of a partisan divide. Perhaps that's probably true as we see Mm -hmm. in these numbers. Well, last but not least, let's talk about Valentine's Day. Well, Um, we got a very lovely Valentine from Richard, got us chocolate. I'm so excited about this. I already ate mine. (laughs) (laughs) They were delicious. (laughs) I'm supposed to go from here over to tape uh, Josh Kroshauer's podcast, which you were just on like two weeks ago. And so I'm not going to have time to get lunch between here and there. So I I feel like some good type of chocolates (laughs) is about to be my lunch. Have kept me from not wanting to, you know, step out for lunch. Well, there's some some fun new uh, data about Valentine's Day and romance. The poll that caught my eye this week was the New York Times, the Upshot and Morning Consult did a poll to figure out what is the typical spending on engagement rings. They find that. So I guess the convention is supposed to be that you spend three months salary on engagement rings. Yeah, that's which is insane. Not that's. Crazy. If Chris had done that, I would have been so mad and or possibly been like, no, because this shows poor judgment on your part. Life is a team project. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you're going to spend three yes. months of your salary on a piece of jewelry then right now at the beginning of our problem. financial lives, yes. we got to have a conversation. Yeah. No. Instead, he had very good taste, very responsible, something that I love very dearly. But it was not three months' salary. That's good. Uh, and you should not. This is pro tip financial advice from the pollsters. Don't do Don't that. Don't do that. Uh, yes. I, my engagement ring was the wedding ring, I believe, of Jules's grandmother that had been like passed to him and then lovingly like protected in some sort of family thing. And I was like, cool. I'm going to treasure this. And of course, I don't know. I don't know how Jules's grandmother like survived her whole life with this ring because I like tr- I've dest- basically destroyed it like, oh, no. just from living my life. You know, and then every time I brought in, they're like, you cannot wear this ring. I'm like, what do you mean? I can't wear this. My engagement ring. And they're like, do you want it or do you not want it anymore? Because if you <laughs> wear it, it will die. Are you like punching walls? <laughs> I'm like, on a regular basis? I'm like I, I, anyway, yeah, there's some. Um, there's a there's a whole thing to it. So anyway, so, uh, so it's in, it's taking a timeout. Currently. So what they find is that for the lowest income Americans, they actually do wind up spending about two and a half, two point two months um, worth of salary on an engagement ring, uh, in part because. It's just it's a higher proportion of their income, Um, whereas for anyone who's kind of making over twenty three thousand dollars a year, it tends to be between one and a half weeks to two weeks of salary, which seems much more reasonable to the extent that you think this convention is at all reasonable. Like that's that's much less crazy than three months salary. Um, And they find that most people spend between five hundred and three thousand dollars on engagement rings. Um, But there is kind of this like long tail where you do have. In their sample, they had th- a, almost 50 people who had spent like over 15K on an engagement ring. 
You don't know what your tastes are going to be like when you get older. I mean, there's just a million reasons to not do that. I know. This is, I mean. And like, you have to do it together. I mean, I don't know. This is not what this show is about. But, I mean, you cannot, do not surprise an expensive thing on jewelry so intimate. You have to really know what you're doing. Buying a a present of jewelry for somebody. I guarantee you, in this season of Marriage, there are a lot of expensive jewelry fails that are being. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that do not spark joy. No. Um, so yeah, this is uh, it's a, this is my one funny like Chris jewelry story. He actually he has exceptional taste and is like he's great at this. But there was one time when he was trying to decide if he was going to buy me a necklace, and he's like, I think this was when we were working together, and like it was during lunch, and he kind of showed me pictures. Like, what? So what do you think of this one? And it was it was like a like a very designed like heart necklace. I, I don't really wear jewelry that has hearts. On it, like yeah. he has since learned, Same. like no, yeah. don't, don't, don't do that. Yeah, down um, with love. No, no just there, that there you. are other things that I would prefer yeah. to wear than heart shaped. Yeah, yeah, anything. Yeah, agree. Um, but so he kind of shows this thing to me, and he's like, "So what do you think of this?" And I'm like, "It kind of looks like a human heart." <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, cool, cool." And I was like, "What? What? Did you buy that for me?" And he's like, <laughs> "No, no, totally, totally didn't." But like, I think he had ordered it and like had to return it and like come up with a new game plan. And so that's like his legendary like one, one time. Did almost, you find that on worldsworstjewelry.com? Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. So it was. So we now have a a a promise with one another that if I ever buy him a present, that's like. A pair of shoes or a messenger bag or a jacket or whatever and he doesn't like it like feelings will not be hurt if you're like that jacket's not for me yeah i'm gonna return like that that is a rule in our marriage like if you get something for someone else and it's just not your taste say it just say it right up front thank you for the gift i appreciate it i think i'd like to exchange and we've we've almost never had to do that like our tastes are pretty in sync yeah besides the human heart shaped necklace like it a, wasn't like a really being. a human heart, but it was it like, like just have some like blinking oddly light. shaped. <laughs> I think it was like one of those like the Frank Gehry for Tiffany's collection sure, ones. So it was right. like like sti- you know yeah, yeah. artsy stylish, yeah. but like that was my thought. Was yeah, like yeah. this looks like a human heart. Yeah. <laughs> I digress. Yeah, my um, husband is an incredible gift giver. I'm you know really I fall I fall very short, and I'm now kind of like learned helplessness. Like I don't do. I'm like I'm always going to be bad. I'm just never. I'm just not going to even try. And <laughs> he's so much better. And so he got for Valentine's Day a book for me of like the art, you know, feminist art, like coffee table book. I'm like, you know what? You know exactly what to get. Like, you have oh. <laughs> such great art in your house. I'm like that's the one thing that I like. Every time I've gotten to go to Margie's house, like I'm just you have so much cool and, art everywhere. And you know, people try to people often assume that I am. Um, that I'm responsible for it. I'm like, nope. <laughs> Take credit. Take credit. Not, is it a Jules thing? It is all Jules. It well, is all him. It's very so, stylish. But in my office, I'm working on bringing stuff to the office. So I was very excited to get the like feminist coffee table book. I'm like, so I can buy some like angry feminist, like just around my office with like these angry <laughs> R-rated feminist posters like freak the team out and be like, Margie's gone crazy again. <laughs> What's she done now? <laughs> That's my plan. Anyway. The the only other poll in here, we've got a whole yes. bunch of different Valentine's polls. The only other one that really sticks out is highly relevant to me is from Rover.com. It was a survey <laughs> monkey poll of uh, 1,450 adult dog owners who are dating or are in a relationship. Half of those surveyed said they snuggle with their dog more often than with their partner. Uh, no comment. Women are more <laughs> likely to choose a canine cuddle companion. 
Um, and a quarter of all pet parents spend more money on their dog than on their significant other. I like this. <laughs> Possibly true for today. Two thirds of dog owners like to gaze lovingly into their oh, dog's God. eyes. <laughs> With a third, more often gazing in their dog's eyes more often. I than don't their gaze partner. into anyone's eyes. I mean, they have so this weird. picture of a woman gazing into her dog's eyes and like hearts like floating around on top of them. This is quite it. It's quite funny. <laughs> oh gosh. This is fabulous. Okay. Well, <laughs> I've like, exhausted all my This is like a picture of you and Wally just like staring at each other and like, you know, they're both in some sort of yoga pose. In oh, here. no, but we were, it was very cute. We were snuggling this morning and normally because he's a golden and he likes to be petted, he'll like put his paw on you, but it's kind of like an aggressive like, um, would you pet me please? Yeah. Like it's, whereas today he just put his little paw on my hand and then just like closed his eyes to take a nap and I was like, Wally's holding my hand. Oh. So, Yes. He's my Valentine too. Yeah, he's a good. He's a good doggy. He's lovey. Um, yeah. Uh, when is he going to come? When is he going to come to the studio? I'm is sure. Is we he... is is this office? Is this a dog friendly co working space? We will have to what? figure that out. Yeah. Although Wally's kind of like loud when he mm. sleeps. He he like his puppy dreams are are very loud. I don't know if he's like reliving like bad memories from the streets of Istanbul or just. I, I don't know, but he's like really like when he's sleeping. So even if he took a nap, he might interfere with our audio. But I will always bring yeah, Wally anywhere. He's, all right. he's I allowed. mean, you know, it's it wouldn't be the worst audio <laughs> that we've had. We, <laughs> it's so a long way to go. We're in the studio. It was just Wally in the background. I mean, look, somebody barged in a couple of minutes ago. We don't even know who that was. <laughs> so I, I like this other. This is another Valentine's Day poll. Um, have you ever disappointed a romantic partner for not doing enough on Valentine's Day? And only 20% said yes. I don't know if that's like a lot or a little really, but 20%. But twice as many men have said that as women thereabouts. I think it's because men are expected to do more. Yeah. Whereas I feel like I probably am a disappointment because I don't do a ton on Valentine. Yeah. Like I don't buy... Sorry, Chris. Like I'm not buying no. you a box of chocolates. Like no. tonight we're gonna make dinner together. We like I. There's a new cookbook of like good, um, sh- like we're gonna make these Shanghainese hot sauce noodles. Good. It's gonna be fun. Um, and that's what we're gonna do for dinner. But I I do sometimes feel like, as I said earlier this year, I'm not the world's greatest yeah. gift giver. Um, I don't do it as often. So I've probably been a disappointment. I feel like it'd be hard for me to assess. It's hard for someone to assess fully, like if you've actually disappointed other people. Yeah, I don't know. And then people under 30 are less likely to have given or received Valentine's. Huh. They specified, have you ever received a Valentine's Day card from another adult? I guess it's a good clarification. And under 30, way less than everybody else. Huh. The the, gre- the greeting card industry I guess. needs to step it up. I mean, I guess that's what it is, right? Because it's just about cards. And so I guess maybe millennials think cards are a waste of time and paper. I don't know. My husband's family's really into them, so I've had to get into giving cards to fit in. All right. (laughs) So what did we learn this week? I don't know. All I've learned this week is that 
you know, perhaps it's a good place to be to forget briefly that Trump is president. That's that's where I am. What is on the trend line this week? If you have not forgotten about what's going uh, on, on and you want to stay engaged. On the trend line, we are going to talk about, I'm, I've got the, um, the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans Association. We're going to talk a little bit about some polling they did around the issue of burn pits, which there's now going to be some more movement in Congress around that. It's a health issue that is particularly affecting millennial veterans mm-hmm. who were over in Iraq um, in, in Iraq during uh, that conflict. And then um, Noah Rothman is going to come talk about his book, Unjust. It's his book about kind of social justice and where that's headed. And I think the book itself is different than the caricature of it online. And so I'm going to talk to him about his insights on where he thinks the next generation is going in terms of social justice issues. And um, so we'll we'll see. It's going to be fun. Cool. Okay. Well, um, where can people find us if they want to send us Wonderful tweets that we always good vibes we always only. read and occasionally respond to. Good vibes only. You can find us at at uh, at the pollsters individually at Margie O'Meara and at Casel to Sanderson or www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.